0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to week two of Watership Down, as we finish part one <coughs> of the book. Um, I uh, I hope that you guys have been enjoying reading it. I've heard from a couple of you who are, you know, in the... Um, in that category of people that I mentioned before, those of you who were traumat- who hadn't, had never read the book but were traumatized by the film as children, uh, I-, I hope that this will able to be able to be a cleansing experience for you. Uh, that's, uh, I-, I find that a deeply sad uh, uh, state of affairs, so I hope that uh, you are enjoying the story. Um, uh, that you are enjoying the story more as we go along here. First, a quick announcement. We are, of course... Done now uh, with the uh, 2014 Mythgard Academy fundraiser. We have officially finished as of last Saturday's webathon. Uh, thanks to everybody who came to the to the webathon, and you know, big thanks to everybody who contributed. You know, who uh, donated during the webathon, during the fundraiser as a whole. Um, it was a, a spectacularly successful campaign. We very nearly doubled our uh, our our. Fundraising from last year, um, participation was up. Uh, average donations were up. Just like generosity was up across the board. Um, we raised uh, thirty-eight thousand dollars in the campaign as a whole. Um, we raised uh, six about six thousand dollars on uh, on on Saturday during the webathon alone. Um, it's. Um, it's been it was It was just such a wonderful uh, an inspiring outpouring of generosity by all of you. I'm so grateful to you uh, for all of your support and i 'm really looking forward to the year that we have we 'll be talking a little bit more about uh plans as they 're coming along of course, one of the things that we 're going to be doing Remember, we have a new lecture series that we're going to be doing now um, that you guys so graciously funded. So we're going to be doing uh, a series throughout the course of the year of guest lecturers, so you know, uh, uh, scholars and 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 authors that we're going to bring in. Um, would uh, I would already um, love to be uh, uh, to 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 sort of get any input from you guys if you have suggestions of uh, whom you would like to hear. I'd, I'd be happy to receive that. Um, so anyway we 're going to we 're going to be working on that we 're also working on the the new website which we 're hoping to do you know that 's going to be a little while in coming of course um, but the, you know when when we get that set up, it should have a lot of uh, cool new features which will facilitate more content, uh, better sort of interactive discussion and stuff, more um, more opportunity for us to really sort of talk together and work together and everything. It should be I, I, it should be great. We also are going to start piloting some regional events. Um, so I don't know, I'm looking forward to all of these things and we'll keep you updated uh, as those things move along. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you again for uh, all of your help and support. Um, now, Let's get back to Watership Down, because we have a lot to talk about today, including a poem to to, to discuss, uh, which if you know me at all, you know that I'm excited about, and I, um, I've always been particularly interested in this poem. Of course, I'm talking about the Silverweed poem, but we have a while to... Uh, we have a ways to go before we get there. Um, now, you recall that the end of our last section, we f- we finished last time just after uh, Hazel and the Rabbit successfully crossed the Heather in the night, that really, really awful place of, of damp, wet ground with nowhere to run to and nowhere to hide um, that they were crossing in the darkness. And they had arrived the following morning at what looked like a beautiful field perfect for rabbits to live in. Um, this, so it, In other words, we ended our first reading, with the major, first major crisis of Hazel's leadership. Of course, you know, the 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 time in the woods and the crossing of the Endborn, those were crises. But this is, of course, the moment when Hazel put his whole leadership on the line, right? When he made that sort of desperate um, appeal, if you follow me now, I'll have you across the, you know, I'll, I'll have you out of this by morning. And, and it worked, right? Um, so, uh, so anyway, the, you know, the, the, it seems like he's now come out of it, right? And that now he his leadership is established. Remember, they were already praising him. You are what I call a chief rabbit, right? Um, that question of like, who's the chief rabbit? Is it me or Bigwig? We seem to have sort of moved past the 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 biggest uncertainty there. There's still some question, right? Hazel is still saying things like, "I don't know if all of you know the rabbits that came with me would like to hear me called chief rabbit," but it's pretty clear. I mean, it's, you know, this, this certainly we're way beyond where we were back in the bean field or at the Enborn or when they were setting out to leave the Warren. Um, But I don't think this is really the biggest crisis, you know, sort of the, the, that, that, that moment crossing the heather, um, though it's, you know, plays such an important role in that way, I don't think that that's the biggest sort of moment of danger in Hazel's leadership. That comes in this section, um, in Cow Warren. This is where um, everything really comes to a test in a brand new kind of way. Let me explain the way that I see that working. Their resolution had been tested before, right? I mean, it's easy to look at the situation back at the beginning and say, basically, they're being asked to make a pretty major leap of faith in believing Fiverr's prophecy, right? We've got, on the one hand, the status quo, which is not even a phrase which does any justice to it, right? I mean, it's like the world they, you know, all the world they have ever known, the home warren, and those two words put together, home warren, um, are clearly and especially when we begin to you know as we as we begin to orient ourselves into rabbit culture right as we've been led to do over the course of those first few chapters it becomes clearer and clearer exactly how weighty those two words when put together are right you know the home Warren the idea of leaving it behind right remember um, uh, uh, you know Blackberry like leave the Warren Frithra he says right and just like the idea like You know, they're talking about, like, oh, something bad is coming and everything, but the idea of actually leaving the Warren is this crazy idea, right? This really, really remarkable thing. Um, So, again, it seems like here's Fiverr, you know, uh, uh, and and they've got to leave their entire world behind and follow him on pure faith. Um, Yeah. Leave the safety of the Warren for the danger and unknown of the outside world we have to remember also that there are other major factors there, right? We were introduced to the fact that all of the rabbits who left were outskirters, or people who were dissatisfied in some way. Silver and Bigwig were the two members of the Owsla who came with them, and both of them were, for one reason or another, disgruntled. Silver was getting a heart, had been had been teased uh, continually because of his strangely colored fur, um, and because he was a relative of the Thriera, and so everybody was sort of implying that he was only in the Ausla because of his connections, right? Um, So all of them, all of them were disaffected. In the, with the with the Warren in some kind of way, and you'll remember that Hazel had brought up the idea of clearing out of the Warren before the vision even came upon Fiber, right? With that altercation with toad flax over the cowslip, before they went over and found the message board, he was already saying. Sometimes I think about clearing out, um, uh, of this Warren and Bigwig also, right? When Bigwig comes. Um, and say, and you know and says that he's gonna join them, he doesn't come saying, First, I have heard Fiverr and I believe I'm going to throw everything else aside because I believe in the prophetic voice of Fiverr. He goes there, but he goes there second. First, he's ticked off at the three-era, right? And he doesn't he 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 doesn't consider this a jolly life and he's you know and, and he thinks he could do better by leaving the Warren, and so you know, he's fed up and he's not taking it anymore. So that's number one in his mind. And the fact that he does say that, you know, he believes in such things, right? The fact that some rabbits have insight like this. He seems to believe in prophecy in general, you know, sort of the prophetic faculty in general. Um, but it's clear that with Bigwig, that's a secondary motivation. Had he been happy and pleased in his position in the Ausla, most likely he doesn't do it. He does, you know, it, it, it seems unlikely that it would really weigh with him. Um, and, of course, the final drop in the bucket to get them to leave is Holly, right? Holly showing up and trying to arrest them, and then they attack Holly, so now they're, like, wanted, right? Now they're going to be, you know, sort of arrested or killed because they've attacked the chief of the Ousla, um, you know, the, the captain of the Ousla. So, uh, you know, and now at this point they have no choice but to leave. My point is, At no point there, even though, again, it's possible to construct this as like, ah, they set off on this incredible journey just because they've heard the voice of Fiverr and they rally around with their faith in his prediction, but that's not an accurate depiction of what actually happens. Their faith in Fiverr has not come to a crisis point. Nor, in the case of many of them, has it even been tested. Most of them only have heard about this second-hand, and clearly are only in it because they were kind of thinking of leaving anyway. Um, some of them don't even seem to know anything, or know, know very little at all, about what Fiverr has predicted and who he is, and they certainly don't seem to have any reliance upon him. Um, notice how the, the Common, their, 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 their time in the Common was a real crisis, mostly because that was the moment when their present discomfort outweighed their dissatisfaction with life back in Sandalford. Right, that was the first moment, and really the only moment in their trip so far when they when they were saying, "Okay, this is awful." Right, I mean, this is, we were kind of hoping that we would be able to find a better life outside the Warren because we were having a thin time of it, to use the expression that 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 that. Uh, Adams uses. Um, We were having a thin time back at the back at the Warren, um, but this is awful. I mean, however bad it was back there, this is worse, right? And when they are in that situation, they don't have faith in Fiverr's vision to support them, and Hazel knows it. Remember when Fiverr starts talking about the hills, right? When he starts making not exactly a prophecy, but sharing a positive vision, not the negative vision of, if we don't leave, something horrible is going to happen, or rather, something horrible is going to happen, and therefore we should leave. Um, instead, when he was saying, I have this vision of, like, the high hills, where you can see, you know, where the soil is dry, and you can see forever, and and all these things, and, and remember, Hazel's response is, I hope he didn't mention this to anybody else, and I hope he shuts up now, because they're not going to take this, right? You know, obviously, I can't even tell the other rabbits about this, right? So again, there's there's clearly no question of weighing the the sort of the prophetic gravitas of Fiverr against uh, their you know dis- their their current discomforts, or even you know I, not to give them that as 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 encouragement to support them in their current discomfort, and certainly not as something that they should prioritize over their own choices, right? Therefore when we get, when we get there, you think, why does Hazel persevere? Hazel, of course, is the only one whom we know does believe in Fiverr, right? He's the only one for whom we know absolutely as a fact that he has a real reliance and faith in Fiverr's vision, in Fiverr's capacity, right? But even Hazel, why does Hazel go on through the heather? Is it because he believes in Fiverr? No, remember he was resisting Fiverr just just in the middle of that with the Hills thing, right? When he was like, oh yeah, that's great Fiverr, please shh, don't tell anybody about that crazy talk about the Hills, right? Um, it's not that he's disregarding Fiverr, but he is... it's clear that it's not Fiverr that's motivating him. In fact, it seems to me that Hazel reveals his own mind when he's talking about... and we looked at this passage very briefly at the end of class last time, um, when he's talking about what he would have wanted to see from Hawkbit, right? Or what what he wanted to, would have wanted to say to Hawkbit when Hawkbeat, Hawkbit was reading, leading that little sort of pseudo-rebellion or uh, protest <laughs> against Hazel's leadership in the Heather. And... Remember, what he said was, I don't want Hockpit and them to go on because they feel like they have to, because they're being compelled, right? That's just going to lead to them feeling exactly the same way that they did back in the old war. And remember, he says, I want him to go on because he sees that it's the only option, right? He sees it's really the only thing we can do that seems to me pretty clearly why hazel is going on why does he say the desperate thing that he says if you follow me now i'll have you out of this by morning because it's the only thing he can say he knows it's only it's only confident leadership that they're going to follow they are in they are so uneasy they are so nervous that if he the one that they're looking to for leadership shows weakness also they're just going to they're just going to scatter they're going to collapse they're going to fall apart he knows the only chance that they have is a show of more confidence than he believes in. Again, It's reason that he's following. We have to go forward. We can't go back. If we, Even if we could go back across all that we came through, back through the heather that we've crossed, over the bean field, past the man with the gun, maybe that dog is probably not still wandering around, but he might be over that river and back through the woods, and then get arrested and possibly killed for attacking Holly... That's crazy. That's not really plausible. Much more likely is that one, that we're going to get across this bad patch of land, and when we do, we'll find something better on the other side. So he rolls the dice, because it's the only sensible thing to do. It's sensible is another important word um, in, uh, in this book. Um, so, he does that. But again, it's not... He, he, he's not acting either publicly or even privately on faith in Fiverr and Fiverr's predictions in this moment, right? Again, if anything, he's still kind of resistant to it. Now this whole thing really comes to the test. So the point I'm trying to make is, even though the frame of the beginning of the story would seem to be, we are all living here contentedly, and yet this prophecy has come, and the question is, Who's going to believe the prophecy and step out into the unknown and leave behind um, this comfort that we know? And who's going to remain here and ignore the prophecy? You can frame the beginning to sound like that. But in reality, that's not the choice that any one of the individual rabbits are making. Not even really Hazel. Because, um, again, he—we we know that he wanted to leave anyway. Um, so this is clearly just sort of the right moment, you know, this is the, the the thing which gives him the impetus to actually do what he'd been toying around with. It is at the warren of the snares that this really comes into a crisis. Now is the time when all of their inclinations lead them in one direction. Right? When, when the other rabbits who are not Fiverr are universally, they are unanimous in their positive desire, not their negative aversion, their positive desire to stay here everything that they see, almost everything that they see, leads them to conclude this is the right thing to do. And it's only Fiverr's word for them, to rely, for them to rely on and say, this is not, this is not right. This is, this is, you know, to, as he says, as Fiverr says to Bigwig at the end, when he says to Bigwig, you are closer to death than I am, right? Um, so this is the crisis um, of not only of Hazel's leadership, um but also of course of the the relationship between the rest of the rabbits and fiver's prophetic vision but i want to focus on hazel first cuz we we you know, we 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 looked at hazel last time um and hazel is a wonderful leader um but of course it's interesting how we can see his many of the things which make him into a really good leader are things which also lead them astray here in this moment. Again, it's not that Hazel is making mistakes, I think. Um, I mean, sure, it's easy to say, like, well, I should have listened to Fiverr. But I think even saying that, it's, um, it's, not, um, it's not, it's not, it's easy to say that, but I think that doesn't really do justice to the situation. Um, let's look at a few passages here. So they've arrived in the fields, right, and they're all happy and they're, they're delighted that they've come through the heather and they've come back to, to, to good land and a place where they can apparently settle down. Well, this is the place, all right, isn't it, Hazel? said Dandelion lazily. I suppose we'd better start having a look along the bank soon, although I must say I'm in no particular hurry. But I've got an idea it may be going to rain before much longer. Fiverr looked as though he were about to speak, but then shook his ears and turned to nibbling at a dandelion. That looks a good bank. Along the edge of the trees up there, answered Hazel. What do you say, Fiverr? Shall we go up there now, or shall we wait a bit longer? Fiverr hesitated, and then replied, Just as you think, Hazel. Now, as I say, two of the things that we saw really set Hazel aside, um, to really set set him apart from the rest of the rabbits, are first, his sort of commitment to Fairness and reasonableness, right? You know, we saw him, the way that he pays attention to people, that is, you know, to me, one of the most striking things, you know, whereas the Threera couldn't remember his name right, right, and kept, you know, you know your friend, oh, no, your brother, right, and he kept calling him Walnut. Um, and yeah, the Threera is getting old and stuff, but, um, but again, but the difference is really clear. I love how the Three-Era still remains in Hazel's mind like the model of the perfect Chief Rabbit, even though it's already, I think, pretty clear to us as readers that Hazel is, in a sense, already a better Chief Rabbit. He's a less experienced Chief Rabbit, um, but he still in many ways is a better Chief Rabbit already than the Three-Era was. Because what the Three-Era either didn't have, or at least has lost now, is that kind of connection with his people. He. Uh, Hazel sees the good he sees the value and the importance of every single one and I love by the way the fact um, that um the fact that uh, uh it's Pipkin and Fiverr, the two really small ones who are able to 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 get down there and gnaw through the peg in order to free big wig right the biggest strongest rabbit among them, the one who is not afraid of almost anything. Is uh, is helpless and going to die if he weren't rescued by F- Pipkin and Fiverr, right? Even the little, small, undersized ones, whom most other rabbits would look at and say they're not any use. I mean, that's the kind of language the rabbits would use. They're quite uh, callous about things like that um, in their own vocabulary, right? I um, say, so what what's the use of a of a of a you know a little fellow like Pipkin? Jolly good thing for uh, Bigwig that they had those two shrimpy guys along, isn't it? Um, and again, but, but things like that, you know. But even the way in which um, you think of the conversation when, on that first night, when they're in the new Warren, when they're in Cowslips Warren, and uh, 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 Hazel says insists that he wants to sylphlay, so he goes up with Blackberry and brings Pipkin along with him. And Pipkin is is the one who's giving his impressions, and you know he's the one who makes that uh, that really marvelous simile comparing the rabbits of that warren, you know, saying they're like trees in November. Um, and uh, and notice how Hazel not only observes but goes out of his way to comment upon the fact that Pipkin notices a lot, right? Um, whereas you know you know many rabbits like Toadflax um, wouldn't even listen to anything that a rabbit like Pipkin has to say. Anyway, point is, all of that you know, really caring about, you know, paying attention to the individual rabbits, seeing what's good in them, valuing their judgment and opinion, um, wanting to be sensible and reasonable in the way that he proceeds, notice the terrific pressure that that exerts upon Hazel here right? Um, this is already, like, it's a crisis now. Before we meet Cowslip, before weird things, you know, before the mystery of the new Warren begins to unfold before us, this is already a crisis right here. And we, you know, we are reminded of it in this scene, you know, in that, you know, in the, 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 just a couple chapters ago, Fiverr has told Hazel this is what we need to be looking for. You know, And so he knows. He knows when he's saying this that Fiverr has said we shouldn't be settling down here. We should be carrying on to the hills, which are, several, which are still miles away, which is like, you know, days of journey for uh, for these rabbits. Um, he knows this, and yet he's going along with him. He's the one who's pointing out the bank. That looks a good bank along the edge of the trees up there, answered Hazel. Um, and notice how he tr- tr- is trying to sort of compromise with Fiverr. What do you say, Fiverr? Shall we go up there now, or shall we wait a bit longer? Notice the two options he gives. He doesn't ask Fiverr, should we stay here at all, or should we go somewhere else? No, no, no. Should we go there now, or in a little while? Right? Which do you think? And Fiverr, of course, has no opinion on that particular subject. But you'll see how Hazel, he's not dismissing overtly, like in his own mind, dismissing Fiverr. Right? He's not. He's still... Even in a sense, um, sort of wanting to uh, to 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 work with Fiverr, still to give Fiverr a voice, to rely upon Fiverr in some way. Um, Yeah, as Neil says, Hazel knows the rest of the group won't accept going off so far without evidence. And yes, I mean, I I sort of jokingly, um, you know, gave this passage a subtitle: "Peer pressure," but. Again, we've gotten close enough, I think, by now to rabbit culture to understand that that idea, the idea of the communal desire of the group, has a much, much stronger pull in rabbit culture than in human culture, right? Um, it's hard enough for one solitary human being to go against the crowd, right? And to say, hey, I know you guys are all tired, and I know that this looks really good, but Uh, Trust us on very little evidence. We need to continue through even more hardship. That would be hard to say even with humans. But with the rabbits, it's even harder. Um, He has to do so. And again, this would be a situation unlike even the situation where they were leaving the Warren. Because again, there was this groundswell sentiment to leave the Warren. That they were obeying, not resisting. Here now... In order to go along with Fiverr, Hazel would have to be just absolutely walking against the tide with the rest of them. And he would have a hard time doing that and doesn't really want to do that. Um and I think this is where we see one of the one of the other things that I think I have to be fair. I mean, I'm such a big fan of of uh of hazel that uh, you know I, I have a little bit of risk of like being a hazel fanboy here I think it's it's important to be fair um, about hazel is in that hazel makes a serious mistake and again I don't classify I think that his you know I, I I feel that the way that the story unfolds and again the way that we're shown rabbit culture and everything I think that we you know I I think the, the story treats hazel really um uh sympathetically in this section I don't think that we're we're spending this whole time being like, no, Hazel. Oh, that's so stupid. That, that's to me not the effect at all. But he does do one thing wrong. He does that. He 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 does give way to a fault here. There's something that clouds his judgment, because there is judgment to be made, right? Even without Fiverr, they've got plenty of reasons to be saying something ain't right at this Warren, right? There is something weird going on here. They pick, uh, they all pick up on this, right? Um, they don't even need Fiverr to tell them this. What is it that distracts Hazel? I think that one of the things... Um, uh, I think that one of the things that we see is pride in Hazel. Um... Here's one one example. From time to time, instinctively, he looked up and sniffed the wind, but his caution was half-hearted. If Iil'll come, let them. This is the morning they're going out to the carrots. He'll, he thought, I'll fight the lot. I couldn't run anyway. What a country. What a warren. No wonder they're all as big as hares and smell like princes. Hello, Pipkin. Fill yourself up to the ears. No more shivering on the banks of streams for you, old chap. "'We won't know how to shiver in a week or two,' said Hotbit with his mouth full. "'I feel so much better for this. I'd follow you anywhere, Hazel. "'I wasn't myself in the heather that night. "'It's bad when you know you can't get underground. "'I hope you understand.' "'It's all forgotten,' answered Hazel. "'I'd better ask Cowslip what we're supposed to do "'about taking some of this stuff back to the Warren." Now, here we see some mostly innocuous stuff from Hazel, right? He's really happy to see his people happy. Right? He remembers Pipkin in Pipkin's lowest moment, Right, shivering and nearly tharn on the shores of the Endborn with the thorn in his foot, so that even if he weren't completely exhausted, he couldn't run anyway, and a dog coming their direction. Right, um, he, He's remembering Pipkin in that most horrible of moments and saying, hey, no more shivering on the banks of streams for you, right? Um, you know, now we're at this new warren where there's, like, Flayra served every morning, and um, and it's uh, it's going to be awesome. So again, that's quite charming, right? He's not thinking of himself. He's thinking of them. Um, one of the things that I think that we can see here, though, this is just sort of one example, though, though there are a bunch of others, is... Hazel is thinking a lot about how they appear to the others. No wonder they're all as big as hares and smell like princes. He's Hazel has this continual sense of inferiority in their presence, right? They are they're this they're large and sleek and smell funny in a good way. Um uh yeah, Nancy, I agree. Nancy says, uh, I love that cowslip's name is Cowslip, the flower introduced as a delicacy at the beginning of the book. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a brilliant name for the, the rabbit who by his uh you know venturing over to them kind of gives his name to the Warren. It's called Cowslip's Warren, um or the Warren of the Snares. But um uh anyway, uh yeah, so so he's always, he's 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 always feeling self-conscious. He's always worrying about what they're going to be thinking about them and also about himself. Remember those moments like for instance when he's being first given the tour by Strawberry and Nildrohane and uh he uh passes one of the other rabbits uh, who says, like, you've got wonderful judgment, Hazel. And he he's feeling really, really happy, and he's kind of like hoping that Strawberry overheard that, right? You know, them praising his judgment as Chief Rabbit. Um, that, you know, his, his, his concern about what the other Warren Rabbits will think of them, and in particular, his desire to maintain his place. The suggestion there at the end about how he's going to, you know, like, I... I, I I'd better ask Kelso what we're supposed to do about taking some of this stuff back to the Warren. He's determined to show that he is the resourceful leader of these new rabbits, right? That, that they're not in any way inferior to the other rabbits. His focus on that is so great that he doesn't even seem to ask the question, okay, we're different from these other rabbits. Maybe <laughs> there are ways in which we should not, in fact, be adapting ourselves to their new ways. Right. Um, it's, of course, down to Fiverr to be the uh, contrary voice expressing that view. But again, he's so focused on his own position, what they're going to think of him, what they're going to think of all the rest of them, um, that he doesn't even seem to ask the question. He accepts the fact that these you know, large, gorgeous strangers um, are the standard, that their ways, although they're different, from the ways of most other rabbits are probably good ways, maybe even better ways, and so, you know, we should uh, we should try to conform ourselves to them um, without even really thinking about it. Um, remember that you know the the, the question of the ch- of Chief Rabbit is still not really officially resolved, and of course it's thrown into much greater question now that he's in this new Warren, right? Having just established himself, kind of mostly, about 80% at least, as the chief rabbit of this new group. Now they're going to assimilate themselves into this warren. What's Hazel's position in the new warren? Right? Is he going to be able to establish himself? And if not, how is that going to work? These are clearly things that seem to be operating in the back of Hazel's mind, which again seems to be affecting his judgment. He's self-conscious. Um, and he's he's... Also, I would say to bring it back to to sympathetic again. He's also there's also that drive to conform. They're in this new Warren and this idea of like we should conform with the new ways of this uh, of this new Warren um, seems like a very natural thing. Fiverr's contrary voice. I want nothing to do with them. Their new ways are terrible. Let's leave and go away. Despite the fact that this looks not only safe but idyllic, right? Um, that sounds. Completely unnatural when Fiver says it. Um, his his you know conformity, even his pride and self consciousness, uh, are are very understandable. Um, but nevertheless, um, there are still clear warning signs, right? And here, primarily, I'm thinking of. Hazel's dismissal of Fiverr. It's not just that first moment, of course. This is the little sort of mini-council that he calls uh, in their very uncomfortable scrapes in the bank that he, Hazel, pointed out, which turned out in fact not at all to be a good place to uh, build, to dig scrapes which is a point nobody really brings up that it was Hazel's idea to dig those scrapes in that particular place. Um, but it seems to be an appropriate sign to the fact that Hazel's judgment that this is where they should live is probably not, in fact, a good one. But anyway, he's just gotten... Uh, remember, he, he, he's gotten Blackberry's opinion. He's gotten Bigwig's opinion. And now he asks Fiverr. And Fiverr just says, I think we ought to have nothing to do with that rabbit or his warren. We ought to leave this place at once. But what's the good of talking? Cold and damp, Hazel felt impatient. He had always been accustomed to rely on Fiver, and now, when he really needed him, he was letting them down. Blackberry's reasoning had been first-rate, and Bigwig had at least shown which way any sound-hearted rabbit would be likely to lean. Apparently, the only contribution Fiverr could make was this beetle-spirited vaporing. He tried to remember that Fiverr was undersized, and that they had had an anxious time and were all weary. He's trying to make allowances for Fiverr, right? But notice, Hazel doesn't even process the fact that he's refusing to listen to Fiverr, right? You know, he, he, he had been accustomed to rely on Fiverr, right? And he doesn't think that he's changed. He thinks that Fiverr has changed, right? And now, when he's really trying to rely on, he's trying to continue to rely on Fiverr, and here's Fiverr letting him, Hazel, down right? Nancy points out this is how Fiverr always talks. Yeah, exactly. Fiverr, um, uh, uh, Fiverr's not actually really changed, right? But he is, for the first time, really saying something that goes against what Hazel wants. And as I said, for the first time, he's really going against the entire spirit of the group, of uh, the whole consensus of the group. Um, and Hazel clearly doesn't like it. And and, and, and again, thinks that that uh Fiverr is the problem, beetle spirited vaporing is a, uh a pretty awesome phrase. Um and notice how he tries to make allowances. He's still compassionate, right? He still shows love and compassion for Fiverr. He doesn't get angry at him, he doesn't uh uh he doesn't uh uh, uh you know dismiss him. He's like I I can make allowances for Fiverr, right? Um, but again, the way that Fiverr is acting is not it's it's true that it's not unlike Fiverr, but it is profoundly unnatural it is profoundly countercultural uh in that sense. Notice also Fiverr's own personal struggles right Fiverr doesn't know how to say any of this stuff. Fiverr seemed to grow even smaller as he flattened himself on the hard hard earth. I'm a fool to try to argue, he said miserably. "'Hazel, dear old Hazel, "'it's simply that I know there's something unnatural and evil "'twisted all round this place. "'I don't know what it is, so no wonder I can't talk about it. "'I keep getting near it, though. "'You know how you poke your nose against wire netting "'and push it up against an apple tree, "'but you still can't bite the bark because of the wire? "'I'm close to this, whatever it is, but I can't grip it. "'If I sit here alone, I may reach it yet. Fiverr, why not do as I say?' Have a meal on those roots and then go underground and, and sleep. You'll feel all the better for it. I tell you I'll have nothing to do with the place, said Fiverr. As for going underground, I'd rather go back over the heather. The roof of that hall is made of bones. Fiverr doesn't have any way to articulate stuff. Not any more than he ever had. Remember, he's always had hazel right? Um, and even when Hazel was trying to calm him down, I mean, remember when ha- when Fiverr was doing his prophecy in chapter one, right? You know, when he was, when the vision of the field covered with blood was coming across him, Hazel still kept saying nonsense, nonsense, right? It's just the sun. Um, you know, he was trying to calm him down, right? Um, but he, st- you know, and he seemed, he Hazel seemed st- st- bewildered by it, but when the next day they went to the Three-Era, it was Hazel who did the talking. Right? Um, it was Hazel who was able to say to the Three-Era, here's the situation. My brother has this sense, this feeling that a bad thing is coming. I can vouch for the fact that this is totally legit, and here are some reasons you should take this seriously. Um, Hazel Fiverr has always had Hazel. Right? Um, and now he doesn't have Hazel. He's incapable of of convincing Hazel because that's again he's that's that's always been his resource. Um, notice he's not being less articulate than before. In fact, any if anything, um, if anything, he's being much more specific. His his little vision, his little sort of picture at the end there, right? The roof of that hall is made of bones. Sounds really quite a lot like the field of blood vision that he had before. Right. Um so it's not like what he's saying now sounds weird or indifferent and there are good reasons for Hazel not to uh uh not to recognize it. He should recognize it. If he was you know, if he took it seriously before, he should take it seriously now. In fact, the uh the the comparison, you know, the, the analogy that he makes to trying to bite the bark on an apple tree that you can't quite reach is far more concrete than Fiverr's ever been. Right? We've seen him overcome with this feeling like he was perceiving something that nobody else could perceive, right? Both with the vision of the blood and just that sense of fear, like, you know, as if a predator were there that nobody else could see, right? Um, but he didn't know how to describe it. He didn't know what to do. Now we see him not exactly theorizing, but at least trying to explain the experience of having this vision, right? That that he's he's trying to sink his teeth into it. He can't quite yet figure out what the problem is. He knows this place is unnatural, that there's unnatural and evil twisted all around. There's something unnatural and evil twisted all around the place, but he can't figure out what it is. He doesn't know. He's not been shown. He's just been shown the basic fact. It's no different, indeed, much more specific than his previous vision. But Hazel, the difference is, unlike before, where Hazel was quite open to hearing it and saying, oh, leave the warren? Good idea, let's leave the warren. Right? I kind of want to leave the warren anyway. Now Hazel really, really, really doesn't want to hear this, and so he doesn't. And so he won't. Fiverr has no sympathetic ears to speak to anymore. Um. yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah. uh, Kay thinks that uh, a a good stand-in for the phrase, can't put my finger on it, you know, as I I can't quite bite the bark. Um, Exactly, Kay. And Kay, you know, that's a a small thing, but it's one of those things that I think Adams does so well. You know, all of the, the sort of the figures of speech that are profoundly anthropomorphic, right, which the figures of speech which we use... Which sort of speak to our own experience and wouldn't make sense to somebody who is from a, a fundamentally different species. Um, I mean it would be hard to hard to explain you know, like I can't quite put my finger on it that expression would mean nothing if you were communicating with a fish, for instance, right um, I love the because the, there are moments like that, right where we get this these these sort of reminders that these creatures are they're not it's not a beast fable, right? They're not humans dressed up in animal clothing. Um, they are, you know, we are, we are being invited, we are being acculturated to think like rabbits. Adams does such a wonderful job of that leap of sub-creation, of really bringing us into that world. Even small things like, um, um, like Kay, did you notice the way in which Elahira, when he's dressed up as the doctor, the way he examines his patient? and it's brilliant. All right? He examines his, he examines his eyes and his ears and the ends of the tips of his claws and he looks at his droppings, right? He doesn't, in short, he doesn't act like a human would. He doesn't like take his pulse and tap on his chest and you know, do the other things that, uh, that a human doctor would do to another human being, right? He examines, uh, uh, he examines him as an animal, right? Um, You know, anyway, it's, it's, I think it's, there's so many really small details like that, um, that, um, uh, that, that I think are really, are really very wonderful. Um, anyway, uh, Jeff asks, Jeff seriously asks the general question, why do prophets always have bad reception? um. Well, it depends, of course, Jeff. What you mean by that? If you mean bad reception in the sense in which a TV can may some you know an old fashioned TV might have gotten bad reception, or a a radio might get bad reception, um, uh, you know that, well, that's a profound question, but seems to have to do with like the limitations of the vehicle, right? And I think with Fiverr, that's particularly true. He's it seems to be perceiving something that is beyond this world, interacting with something um, which is... He's not getting a memo, right? He's not being given a dispatch from, you know, somewhere else. or uh, you know, He's not being given marching orders. He's perceiving things that other people can't perceive. And those perceptions are vague and uncertain. Um, uncertain in the sense of... Indistinct, not in the sense of being indefinite. Like he definitely knows a bad thing is coming to uh, the Warren, he just can't explain exactly what that thing is, right? But of course, Jeff, we could also think about them getting bad reception in another sense that is the reception that they get from other people. Um, how well their own messages are received. And of course, that one is a great deal easier to explain why prophets get a bad reception in that way, and that's because prophets, as a rule, almost always are in the business of telling people what they don't want to hear. Um, prophetic messages are rarely sent to people just in order to tell them, keep doing what you're doing, everything's great, <laughs> right? Um, so, uh, so, yeah. Um yeah, good. Michael Choskoski was just saying the same thing I was saying. Michael, as you so often do. Um, yeah, Jeff, exactly. A TV with rabbit ears was precisely what I was envisioning there. Totally agree. Um, yeah, And good. Ed uh, Powell points out that there is, of course, a tradition of animals predicting disasters ahead of time. Um, you know, I mean, uh, anyone you know who's lived on a farm knows that animals can detect, you know well, at least the way that we would say it now, drops in air pr- in, in 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 air pressure, you know, sudden drops in air pressure. You know, when a tornado or a hurricane is coming, you know, your chickens and your cows are likely to know it a great deal before you do. So, yeah, Ed, there is that, you know, this sense of... the kind of perception of coming danger that Fiverr has is in that sense already a thing, right? It's not like it's a... Though clearly with Fiverr, it's beyond... Um, it's beyond the norm. Uh, uh, Kimberly is thinking, of course, as I think a couple other people have already been um, doing, uh, thinking about comparing Fiverr uh, with, uh, with Paul Mwadib from Dune, having since we just did Dune. Uh, I actually think that would be a really interesting comparison. Um, compare Paul, uh, Paul Atreides's uh, prescient vision uh, with Fiverr's prescient vision. But I actually I think would be would be very uh, a really interesting comparison uh, to do um, and several of you have been pointing out and I don't want to I don't want to to, to lose it Nancy and Thomas Johnson and uh, uh, Patrick I think kind of a couple others uh, Brian Yoder um, but the the sort of the obvious, in retrospect, conspicuousness of the wire. You know, I can't, so can't bite the bark because of the wire. Right? Um, it's certainly very conspicuous, um, in retrospect. It's like he's actually closer to it than he thinks he is, right? Or closer to it than he realizes that it, um, uh, that, that he is. Having alluded to, uh, the story of Elah and the King's Lettuce, I actually want to turn to that here for a second. um, We'll come back to Fiverr's prophetic vision when we talk about Silverweed, um, which, don't worry, I'm not going to skip. Um, but I want to talk about The King's Lettuce. Um, I always want to pause when we get to a story of Ela Herrera because I think that they are um, <laughs> I think that they are the clearest glimpses that we get into rabbit culture, right? Um, it is like, for instance, we have two rabbit cultures, cl- co- you know, coming into contact in these chapters, right? We've got the Warren of the snares, and uh, you know, the rabbits coming from the Sandalford Warren. They even say, you know, Hazel is even sort of suggesting at times, okay, their ways are different. But maybe the way that we we maybe we were the weird ones in the Sandalford Warren, right? You know their ways are different, but let's give it a chance. Maybe they, you know, you know, like with the with the bringing food back to the Great Burrow, right? It's like they've 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 learned a good thing from the squirrels, right? And then that makes them better rabbits. So yeah, they do something that we didn't do, but um, you know that's okay. Maybe that may again maybe may maybe maybe we're the problems for us as readers, and we're going to see this um, in uh, in a couple other places as well, not just in Cowslips Borough, um, when we come into contact with other rabbits, how can we... what kind of measuring stick that we have? I mean, of course, we might be tempted just to sort of accept, blindly accept, you know, Fiverr and or, you know Fiverr and Hazel and Company as sort of the norm, right? You know, that their culture is the good normative culture, and uh, in so much as anybody, you know, Cowslip or, or or the other people that we'll meet later on, differ from them, are, are um, you know, th- that's obviously that they're wrong and, and Hazel and Company are right. Very tempting to think that way, of course, but remember, even Hazel himself is open to the possibility that that's not the case. So how do we know? Well, the stories of Ela Herrera give us the clearest I think external framework um, you know sort of the, the that sense of a normative rabbit culture normative rabbit fa- rabbit values right um, by which uh, it seems that everything else can be judged so I think that that's um uh, I think that for the, for this reason I always want to pause over the stories of El and uh, uh, and and sort of ask. The same basic question. Here's my question: What lessons do we learn from the story of Elahera and the King's lettuce? What elements of rabbit culture, um, you know, and sort of rabbit worldview, are we given access to through this story? What do we learn? What are the things that really jump out to you? I'll say that the sort of the number one thing that I think, you know, what I would consider the primary emphasis of this story, of course, is the emphasis on tricks and resourcefulness, right? That rabbits live by their wits. We were, you know, it was that was suggested already at the end of uh, the story of the blessing of Elahera. It is front and center in this, right? And in fact, you could even go so far as to say um, that... Um, what we're getting here is a much clearer definition of heroism. Remember, we already were looking at that last time, right? That when Ojera was acting in a way which, within some cultural frameworks, might be considered cowardly, right? When he's running away and he's trying to dig a hole and he's hiding his head and he won't come out, you know. Um, but the fact that he was still being cheeky to you know that he was still you know struggling for survival and still kind of being cheeky toward Frith, um, in you know in lying to him and and there's there's something, um, you know, a little gutsy about saying "bless my bottom" as it sticks out of the hole. Um, and those elements of Elahera were the things that 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 were sort of not detractions from his heroism, but clearly part of his heroism. Um, here, I think, in this story we get the, this sort of that concept of rabbit heroism uh, defined even more clearly that, obviously, what may can Elehera fight? maybe, pr- pr- probably I mean, rabbits do fight, and inasmuch as Elehera is like the greatest of all the rabbits, presumably he could fight as well as, you know good fighters among them but we never see him fight at least we haven't seen him fight, um You know, there doesn't seem to be any trace of fighting. Um, Instead, it's all about his wits. It's all about um, uh, 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 his cleverness and his outwitting of other people. Um, A couple of you are asking really good questions. Rachel said, Rachel Barton says she was really intrigued about the mention of Animal Cities. I also found that really interesting, Rachel. And then following up with that, Brian Yoder was asking, saying I'm still confused what the kind uh, uh, w- w- sorry what the king and his guards are you know, are they actually human? Or are they some other form of animal? They don't seem to be rabbits um, they even have children that play with the rabbits. Um, no they're not humans and we're not told what kind of animals they are they're clearly animals, you know, he's the king of the animal city um, but we don't know you do get the general sense that there's more than one species of animal under the rule, you know, within the city under the rule of King Darzan, right? Um, That seems to me relatively clear. But then you've got rabbits over here. To me, the effect of that is it creates the sense of the rabbits being a persecuted people on the one hand, right? They are, in a sense, isolated from the other animals. Um, And remember, there's that sense, even the very word elil, right, as that category of the enemies of rabbits, those creatures, those carnivores which eat rabbits, um, and which, when you hear the rabbits talk about it, you'd think they had almost no other prey. They recognize that, like owls, you know, eat field mice and stuff, too. Um, But, um, but sometimes in the way they talk, it seems to betray the fact that it's almost like they assume the, like the whole point of the, you know, these predators do nothing but, but, but hunt rabbits. Uh, but anyway, um, the very fact that they have they, they use that kind of collective noun, right? Um, you know, there's, there's similarly the category when, uh, um, when Hazel meets the crow by the bean field, right? And he puts it in the category of "not hawk." right? There are two kinds of birds, right? There are hawks and not hawks, right? There there are predator, raptors, who might swoop down on and try to kill a rabbit, and there are the rest of birds who are not, right? There's this sense in which you've got like three categories of all creatures, right? There's predators who might kill rabbits, there's other creatures who are not rabbits but not predators, and there's rabbits, right? And the rabbits are unified, and they hold together, and they stand together against all the rest of them. Now, they might make alliances or be on friendly terms with the nuthawks, right, with the non-predators. But it's clear, notice how even Yonah the Hedgehog, whom we're told that Yonil are totally innocuous, right? When they see the dead hedgehog in the road, they're really appalled, like, why would anyone want to kill a Yona, right? I mean, Yona, like, Yana don't hurt anybody but slugs. And, uh... But yet, it's Yona the Hedgehog <clears throat> who goes and, uh, uh you know, rats Elahera out to King Darzin and puts him on his guard, right? Everybody is against the rabbits. The rabbits are only in solidarity with themselves. And so that seems to me to be an important thing and good Brian makes a really great point. Um, <clears throat> the rabbit seems smaller than any of the animals in the city too um, yeah, the fact that rabbit Scuttle can mix in with the children right and fit in uh, seems to be uh, uh, s- seems seems to to definitely suggest that um, I agree. Uh, Gerald, that King Darzan and his people don't seem to be certainly not universally predators. They wouldn't be raising lettuces, presumably, if they were uh, all carnivores. Um, and I would also think that if it was, th- if this were just like a city of Elil they'd say that, right, that that would have been mentioned at some point. I mean, if this was a city entirely stuffed full of wheels and stoats and cats and foxes, um, that would have come in for mention at some point in the story. So I assume it's not those. But don't you also get the impression that there are a lot of species of animal that these rabbits just don't really know very much about, right? And the more so if they're a species of elephant uh, of elephant? Did I say that? Of animal, which is irrelevant. I guess that's the combination of animal and irrelevant is elephant. Anyway, that um, <laughs> that the, if it's a species of animal that's irrelevant to rabbits, who cares, right? They, they don't really know about it, so they um, so they just kind of lump them in. So that King Darzen and his people are just generically animals. Um, and, uh, you know, they're not evil, but who knows really what they are, and frankly, it doesn't really matter uh, what they are. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's, again, that's that's the rabbit point of view. Um, yeah, Kay says, Zoological studies were never simpler than when conducted by rabbits. Exactly. Uh, just like counting, right? Um, Whenever the 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 the, the number rare is actually invoked um, in practical mathematics in this story, I, j- I love it. it, it it's, I find it so delightful. Like uh, you know, there will be conversations later. Well, when somebody will say, "How many of you are there?" and they'll respond, Hrair. and I'll be like, "Okay, thanks." You know, and it's just the 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 <clears throat> love it. Absolutely, absolutely love it. Um, rare I think, is probably. There are many of the lapine words, you know, which are invented in order, again, to sort of reflect the mentality and worldview of the rabbits, and sort of even the sort of the physical or physiological situation of the rabbits, um, you know, in ways in which those are different from humans, and therefore the terminology that humans have in their languages. But I find rare to be just absolutely um, uh, the 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 most. Useful term. Um, I use that word all the time. Um, such a such a useful word. Um, but anyway, um, <clears throat> Tom. Tom's making a point about language. We haven't really come to that though yet, Tom. I want to save that until next week. But see if. Remember to bring that up again next time, Tom, because I think the point you're making is a really important one, but it's more relevant to next week than this week. Um, uh, Good, let's see. Um, One other point, two two final points I'd make about The King's Lettuce, and then we should really move on to Silverweed, um, is first, notice that the story is about more than just survival, right? It is a story about survival, right? They're trapped in the marshes of Kelphazen, which are kind of like the heather in that they're really unpleasant and there's barely any dry ground to dig a hole in. Um, so therefore, it's this terrible and insecure place for the rabbits to live and the food is really bad and, and, and they're barely able to survive. El is trying to preserve his people and he's trying to help them to survive. But the story isn't... In the end, it's not just about survival, right? I mean, it's like, <clears throat> on the one hand... It's like there are two choices w- within the world of this story, right? Either we sort of slowly starve to death in the marshes of Kelfazin or we live in luxury and have a thousand lettuces delivered to our... I mean, it's different from, like, can we just get some good grass, please? No, no, no. It's either starvation or a thousand lettuces delivered to their, to their warren, right? Um, and that seems to me just the kind of the extravagance of that, that kind of extravagance seems to me to be in some way a really essential part of the legend of El Herrera. Um, the way in which it suggests, again, not just, hey, rabbits can scrape through no matter what, right? But even in the most, uh, mo, you know, even in the worst conditions, rabbits can thrive, right? Um, you know, and that, I think, is uh, uh, is is a really nifty thing, um, for, uh, uh, for you know, that we can, can, can sort of perceive going on there. The last point I want to make is I am really interested in the um, applicability of this story. I think that Adams is a really... Gr- on the one hand, the stories of El as they're told, as they're sort of embedded within the larger overall story, um, they generally have an applicability to the rabbits at the time. Sometimes the story is chosen explicitly because something that's going on, it makes them think of that particular story, um, and it sometimes it has a particular message. Um, I think that, you know, the... the tendency, the possibility that Adams could have made these stories be sort of really kind of following in lockstep with the adventures of, you know, to be sort of a kind of veiled um, heroicizing of the journey of, you know, Hazel and his companions. Um, but he doesn't do that. Um, you know, the, the this story is applicable to their situation, but it's very indirectly applicable. Um, uh, look at the end of the story. I told you they were being delivered, said el "'You could hardly expect my people, weak and hungry as they are, "'to carry them all the way from King Darzin's garden. "'However, they will soon recover now, "'under the treatment that I shall prescribe. "'I am a physician, I may say, "'and if you have not heard as much, Prince Rainbow, "'you may take it that you soon will from another quarter. "'Rabscuttle, go out and collect the lettuces.' "'Then Prince Rainbow saw that el had been as good as his word, "'and that he himself must keep his promise too. "'He let the rabbits out of the marshes of Kelphazin, "'and they multiplied everywhere.' And from that day to this, no power on earth can keep a rabbit out of a vegetable garden, for Elachrera prompts them with a thousand tricks, the best in the world. Now, this story falls on deaf ears, right? Not deaf ears, but unappreciative ears, right? You can already see the notice there's there's sort of reasons already to suspect the mistake that they've made, or rather to point out the problem that they're trying to ignore. From that day to this, no power on earth can keep a rabbit out of a vegetable garden, for El prompts them with a thousand tricks, the best in the world. To say that in a warren where you know, carrots and lettuces are brought to them and presented right outside their holes by men every day, um, we see the natu- it's sort of manifestly the natural order of things turned upside down, right? We- El Hara is not prompting these rabbits with a thousand tricks, the best in the world, right? Instead they're being led into complete complacency Right, like the complacency which leads them just to trot straight out of their holes without even stopping, like any sensible rabbit would, to look around. I love Bigwig's comment. Right, like since we don't have any of our friends, to our new friends, to push us out. Right, you know, can it, perhaps we should just make sure that the field isn't crawling with, uh, with owls and stoats before we go out. Um, uh, anyway, so um, so this is this, you know, the prompting of Elahara is to is to but. That's not the way of this Warren. I mean, the 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 fact that this new Warren is not the next step of rabbit evolution, right? That this is not the next greatest thing in rabbit culture. That last second couldn't make that. That last sentence couldn't make that any clearer, right? Um, and uh, they, the rest of the rabbits, the rest of the of the, the of Hazel's rabbits are all pretty puzzled at the fact that nobody really likes it. Um, but again, in some sense, I think we can see that they, um, they shouldn't be all that surprised. Um, let's look at the reaction here. They were all in no doubt <clears throat> that Dandelion had done them credit Ever since their arrival, most of them had felt out of their depth among these magnificent, well-fed strangers, with their detached manners, their shapes on the wall, their elegance, their adroit evasion of almost all questions, above all, their fits of unrabbit-like melancholy. Now, their own storyteller had shown that they were no mere bunch of tramps. Certainly, no reasonable rabbit could withhold admiration. They waited to be told as much, but after a few moments realized with surprise that their hosts were evidently less enthusiastic. "'Very nice,' said Cowslip. "'He seemed to be searching for something more to say, "'but then repeated, "'Yes, very nice. "'An unusual tale. "'But he must know it, surely,' muttered Blackberry to Hazel. "'I always think these traditional stories retain a lot of charm,' "'said another of the rabbits, "'especially when they're told in the real old-fashioned spirit.'" "'What do we see here?' What do we see in the reaction of Cowslip and the uh, unnamed other who makes the comment here? What, What do we see, what do we learn about them and about their culture? Remember, this is the second time we've gotten a story, right? Remember the first time? Remember the first reaction? Remember the reaction to the first story was so important that Adams interrupted the story to give it to us in the in the in the penultimate paragraph, remember that, right? The 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 investment of the rabbits, the way in which they were they threw themselves into the story, right? The way that they connected themselves with Elahera, the way in which they their their spirits were born up, right? To know that you know to, to remember the 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 indestructible uh, nature of rabbitry, right? Um, And one of the things I was saying last time was that seems to, again, to show that sort of fundamental communal aspect of rabbit identity, of rabbit psychology, of rabbit culture, right? Um, That they don't hold themselves aloof from the story as, like, one individual relating to other things. It's... The story is part of like the group experience. It didn't happen to them, but it might as well have happened to them. It's part of the group experience. These rabbits hold themselves very, very far aloof from it, right? Um, and uh, and they are very patronizing, right? As 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 Lee says, and Sarah and Patrick, um, uh, Philip is remembering how the other rabbits put themselves in the story. You can see these rabbits doing the absolute opposite to that. Um, and Rachel, I like how you say this here. Um, Rachel Barton says the Warren rabbits have tried to convince themselves that they are above that sort of thing, right? Um, yes, exactly. Um, they're 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 isolated. They're out of touch. But they put this spin on it, right? They give themselves a superior air. If we are not conne- if we are not connected to this, if we can't connect with this anymore, it's not because we've degenerated. It's because we've advanced, right? Um, the real old fashioned spirit, right? How quaint, as uh, uh, as Jeff Searcy said. Um, Remember, of course, you know, they, this is only one of, you know, this, this expression, we've already seen this in several other places where they have advanced, right? Um, a, a couple of you wanted to talk about the shape, and I, I definitely don't want to leave uh, the, uh, the Elohera of Laburnum behind. Do you like it? asked Strawberry. Hazel puzzled over the stones. They were all the same size and pushed at regular intervals into the soil. We could make nothing of them. What are they for? he asked again. It's Elehera, said Strawberry. A rabbit called Laburnum did it, some time ago now. We have others, but this is the best. Worth a visit, don't you think? Hazel was more at a loss than ever. He had never seen a Laburnum, and was puzzled by the name, which in Lapine is Poison Tree. How could a rabbit be called Poison? And how could stones be Elehera? What exactly was it that Strawberry was saying was Elehera? In confusion, he said, I I don't understand. It's what we call a shape, explained Strawberry. Haven't you seen one before? The stones make the shape of El on the wall, stealing the king's lettuce. You know. Hazel had not felt so much bewildered since Blackberry had talked about the raft beside the Enborne. Obviously the stones could not possibly be anything to do with Ellahera. It seemed to him that Strawberry might as well have said that his tail was an oak tree as a side note in this, um, I think it is fascinating that, the you know, the way in which I, I think that Adams is so good at doing this. Um, he presents us with things which are intimately familiar to us. Concepts that we, as human readers of the story, understand perfectly well. But yet, he introduces us to this thing. It's like what I said last time about recovery, right? Seeing things from a new angle and with completely new eyes. Um, here, it's the whole concept of representative art. Right? That's what Hazel's not getting. Hazel is simply it's not a question of like, he can't appreciate good art. The whole idea, I mean like, what on earth those rocks could have to do, obviously they have nothing to do with El Right? In what, so like, what is he even saying? Like, he's saying that is El Hazel can't even parse that. Right? <clears throat> what what is going on the and and, and the, the the thing that he's not getting is from our point of view something really obvious right very 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 small human children get this right'll we'll scribble on a picture and say it's mommy right um that that's that seems so so obvious and yet we see it from hazel's point of view and i love and deeply respect the fact that Adams does it with, I think, not a hint of condescension, not a hint of superiority. There is no point, I believe, in this passage in which we as readers are being invited to laugh at Hazel for his ignorance, right? There is no sense in which we are standing shoulder to shoulder with strawberry, looking down at the yomkin who doesn't understand representative art, any more than we... Were looking down upon Hazel for not getting the raft thing back at the endborn right when Hazel's like, "Great, and now Blackberry has gone insane, right? How could this morning get any worse right um instead, we were brought into hazel's point of view right to recognize this stream of apparent nonsense is can be nothing else to rabbits i mean it's it's a the leap that's required to say if you sit on a wooden thing you will float on top of the water is a huge leap a huge leap of reason that most animals just don't make just as animals don't do representative art i mean they just don't it's not that um it's not that like you know dogs and cats do you know like the, their representative art is extremely primitive representative art compared to human art they just don't do it and there's absolutely no reason to think that they understand it right um so uh anyway there's um uh, there's there's a leap here he's drawing he draws our attention to the leap but again without condescension it is really interesting isn't it and you know a couple of you were pointing um, were pointing to this um you know yana was saying it's you know it's strange to think that poetry and art you know we're we're, we're kind of being brought into that poetry and art are like a bad thing you know that it's like terribly unnatural and really concerning um, but uh... but in this context it clearly is um, you know the, the the what at the least it shows is that the way of thinking of these rabbits in this warren is entirely different now again I love the way also that Adams uses this. When you're reading this for the first time, and this is one of those books that I've read so often that it's hard for me to recover my original experience reading it. But I know for a fact, when I read it for the first time, I did not figure out the solution to the mystery in advance. Um, you know, I was puzzled by this too. And when you're when you're in that situation, again, you know, there's, there's, the, there's the question, okay, yes, they're different, right? Um, they, you know, these new rabbits are different from us, but maybe it's us. Maybe it's not them, right? Maybe we're the problem. Maybe we need to learn from them. And I think that the way, if we do come alongside Strawberry and be like, man, Hazel, get with the program, right? It's art, dude, right? If we have any kind of glimmer of that reaction, we are the more deceived, buy it, right? Um, yeah, um, and for the record, I don't think that um, I don't think that Adams is suggesting that representative art is a bad thing, um, and we'll come to that later on. Um, Philip Lord wonders what Fiverr would have uh, thought if he would have understood the artwork as he understood the poem. That's a great question Philip, I don't know. Um, I think not. I think that if he had seen the Prera of Laburnum for instance I don't think he would have had the reaction that he had to Silverweed um, mostly because remember that uh, Strawberry says that it was done quite some time ago and uh, um, they even suggest later on that that you know, Elehera of Laburnum is totally out of fashion now, right? I mean, it's they've moved on from that way of thinking. Um, I think the, you know the fact that they're doing representative art is a leap, but at least they're still doing Elehera and the King's Lettuce, right? They've not yet gotten to the point... Or when Laburnum was doing that, they had not yet gotten to the point where they were leaving behind Elehera entirely um, and not wanting to think about the story of the King's Lettuce. Um, so... For that reason, I don't think that Fiverr would have had the same reaction. I think it seems that the spirit behind the making of the shape of 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 laburnum is different um, uh, than uh, than the um, uh, it's different from the uh, the the poetry of silverweed but let's talk about silverweed um, look at the Initial description of Silverweed. Um, Remember, uh, Fiver very fearfully asks uh, Hazel to bring him closer. We'll look at that in a minute, but... When they had edged their way through the crowd to the far end of the burrow, Hazel was surprised to realize that Silverweed was a mere youngster. In the Sandalford Warren, no rabbit of his age would have been asked to tell a story, except perhaps to a few friends alone. As he began to speak, he seemed to grow less and less aware of his audience, and continually turned his head, as though listening to some sound, audible only to himself, from the entrance tunnel behind him. But there was an arresting fascination in his voice, like the movement of wind and light on a meadow, and as its rhythm entered into his hearers, the whole burrow became silent. Okay. um, He has a wild, desperate air... And his ears twitched continually. He looks like a rabbit on the edge of panic. Right? He he's he's standing there nearly tharn already. And he's barely aware of the other rabbits around him. We see him distanced even from his own peculiar community, right? He's cut off, it seems, in some sense, from the rest of them. But he's in contact with something else. Right? Um he's he's Listening to some sound audible only to himself, um, yeah, Ethan, it does sound like fiverr several of you Ethan and Nancy and Neil um, uh, it does sound like Fiverr doesn't it and Fiverr can tell that we'll come back to that um, I want to look at Silverweed and then look at his poem and then I want to come back to fiverr's response to the poem because I think it's I think that's a really crucial thing that 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 is to me I feel like you know in 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 a lot of, in a lot of ways, this is really the, this is for me the heart of this whole section. Um, by the way, I would say also as a sort of a general aside, um, Silverweed is I think the closest thing that we get in this book to a character that could be interpreted allegorically. That is someone who it, it, it almost works. Um, he is. A character in his own, but he is almost a kind of uh uh, uh uh epitome uh to use that word in the old you know John Dunn sense um he's like an an epitome of this whole warren um a microcosm of this whole warren. um and note his name of course um uh silverweed right his name he's like named after the wires you know the the snares that are killing them um he you know his youth uh his apparent abstraction and terror um disconnection from the community all of these things really sort of project out and he 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 if you want sort of a snapshot of this warren um uh silverweed really seems to me to be it. Yeah, Kim, I don't even remember how many times I read this book before. I was like, holy crap, silverweed. Of course, silverweed. Um, It took me forever to get that. (laughs) Anyway, um, I'm a little slow on the uptake sometimes. But let's let's look at his poem. Well, no, more importantly, let's listen to his poem. The wind is blowing. Blowing over the grass, it shakes the willow catkins, the leaves shine silver. Where are you going, wind? Far, far away, over the hills, over the edge of the world. Take me with you, wind, high over the sky. I will go with you. I will be rabbit of the wind, into the sky, the feathery sky, and the rabbit. The stream is running, running over the gravel, through the brook lime, the king cups, the blue and gold of spring. Where are you going, stream? far far away beyond the heather sliding away all night take me with you stream away in the starlight I will go with you I will be rabbit of the stream down through the water the green water and the rabbit in autumn the leaves come blowing yellow and brown they rustle in the ditches they tug and hang on the hedge where are you going leaves far far away into the earth we go with the rain and the berries take me leaves oh take me on your dark journey i will go with you i will be rabbit of the leaves in the deep places of the earth the earth and the rabbit frith lies in the evening sky the clouds are red about him i am here lord frith i am running through the long grass oh take me with you dropping behind the woods far away to the heart of the light the silence for i am ready to give you my breath my life the shining circle of the sun the sun, and the rabbit. Um, Okay. The song is, the poem is described as having um, an arresting fascination. His voice has an arresting fascination, and the rhythm of it enters into his hearers, uh, is described as entering into his hearers, um, at which point they all become silent throughout the borough. Um, I think he has certainly succeeded uh, in... that. he, Adams, uh, has certainly succeeded in creating a poem which fits that description. I think the sound of this poem is fantastic. Um, rhythmically, I find it really interesting. It's, it's very irregular. Um, irregular in the sense that it's clearly a, 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 a a rhythmic, po- a, a syllabic poem. It's not like, you know, Anglo-Saxon meter or something where you're not counting syllables. You clearly are in a sense counting syllables, um, but it's but it's pretty irregular. There's a lot of uneven syllables all over the place. Very rarely do you get a very very even line. Um, um, you know, again, I think of that um, line from Tolkien's Nimrodel poem, which is just the line I always think of when I want to illustrate a perfectly regular meter and cursed the faithless ship that bore him far from Nimrodel uh, never was a more perfect iambic, perfect neat iambic line written than that one um, that kind of line we don't get anywhere in this poem I don't think there's one singular totally regular line um, in as much as it has a meter I would call it trochaic to tra- uh, uh, trochaic pentameter Generally, five feet, there are five major beats in each line. It's generally trochaic, a uh, hard syllable, short syllable. Notice how the beginning of the lines mostly start with an emphasis. Where are you going, wind? Over the hills. Take me with you. I will go. Into the sky. Through the brook line, Beyond the heather. Take me. I will go. Down through the water. The stress is usually at the beginning. Not always. It, you know, the wind is blowing. It's not like that um the stream is running is not like that lots of variations all over the place um so we get the irregularity of it and yet it still is it's regular enough to be mesmerizing it has a really uh note it has it, ha- it has a really noteworthy rhythm notice also that there's a break in the middle but again not exactly in the middle of almost every line um uh, there's almost always a pause in the midst of, of every line. I think it's really, um, I think it's really cool that we get that. And Gerald, wonderful point. He of course uses the forbidden word "where" all the time in the poem, right? In fact, really, you could say that's the central. It's almost like the central motif of the poem, right? Um, notice how all four of the Well, so certainly starting with the first three stanzas. Um, the first two stanzas are kind of jammed together in every edition I've seen. Um, there's no line break, I mean, there's no gap given um, between, um, you know, the feathery sky and the rabbit and the stream is running. That seems, I mean, perhaps that's intended, and it's supposed to be one big stanza there at the beginning I have a hard time. I mean, it seems like it's pretty obviously a four stanza poem, I, I, I Structurally, anyway, it's, you know, the the parallel structure seems to really sort of insist on that. I'm going to treat it like that's, like what we have on this page here is three stanzas. Um, But uh, anyway, uh, the first three stanzas here all have exactly the same same shape, you notice, right? Um, We've got the first two lines, which just give a description of the thing. Two-line description of the wind two-line description of the stream running, two-line description of the leaves in autumn, right? Then we ask the big question, where are you going? Where are you going wind? Where are you going stream? Where are you going leaves? Answer in each case, far, far away. Um, And then the one line describing where they're going. Over the hills to the edge of the world, beyond the heather, sliding away all night, and into the earth we go with the rain and the berries then um take me with you right and so notice then we have, so we have the response of the thing, you know, of the the the, the response of the, the wind and the stream and the leaves. Um then we have the imagination of the rabbit speaker, right? Take me with you high over the sky. Um I will go with you. I'll be rabbit of the wind. So, take me with you high over the sky. Take me with you away in the starlight. Take me with you, oh, take me on your dark journey, it says to the leaves. Notice how the first two are kind of quixotic, right? kind of grandiose. Take me with you wind, high into the sky. Take me with you stream um, uh, away in the starlight. Both sound romantic, even grandiose. Oh, take me on your dark journey, still grandiose, um, but now, well, darker, right? Um, seeming more overtly to be contemplating death than in the first two. Um, I will go with you, um, and the identification of the rabbit with those things, I will be rabbit of the wind, rabbit of the stream, rabbit of the leaves, not a complete defection from rabbitry. Notice again that that sort of connection, not with other rabbits, but with other things, right? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to cease to be rabbit, but I'm going to be rabbit of the wind, I'm going to be rabbit of the leaves, I'm going to be rabbit of the stream. Um, uh, uh, into the sky, the feathery sky and the rabbit, down through the water, the green water and the rabbit, in the deep places of the earth, the earth and the rabbit. Um, we see a gradual, uh, throughout these first three stanzas, um, uh, we see uh, good Nancy's pointing out how the direction is different too. yeah, notice how the direction is moving downwards all the way through, right That first stanza is all upward focused from you know from the wind is blowing, blowing over the grass, um, you know, the grass and the willow catkins and then the leaves. Notice how the wind is even ascending from the level of the meadow up a little higher to the to the the willow catkins and then up to the leaves right um, we 've got the feathery sky. In the second stanza, the stream is sliding away all night, um, but it's running uh, it, it's 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 going far, far away beyond the heather, sliding away all night. It's not going up, right? It's moving levelly and it's going out of where it's going beyond the heather, which clearly to these rabbits in this warren is like one of the frontiers of the earth, right? It's pretty obvious that none of the rabbits in Cowslip's Warren have ever been past the heather that, that Hazel and the rest of them just crossed the night before. Um, so out into the unknown, and not only the unknown, but the terrifying unknown, right? I mean, we see how, how all of the, the, the rabbits react to the heather, right? Um, so already things are shifting, and then, of course, in that third stanza, the dark journey of the leaves, which is now overtly no longer an ascent, but now a descent. And not just simply a descent in the sense of falling from the trees to the earth, but going down into the earth. Um, We're talking now explicitly about decay. If you just take, you know, the sky and the rabbit, the green water and the rabbit, the earth and the rabbit, it sounds like, hey, we're just doing a cycle, right? We're just looking at different, you know, like the four elements, right? We've got air, we've got water, we've got earth, we'll probably get fire in the fourth stanza, right? It all seems... But that's not just what's happening here. It's not just earth in a general sense. It's the deep places of the earth. It's death. It's decay. Um, yeah, and good. Philip, is, uh, Philip Lord is reminding me, which I hadn't been thinking of, of uh Notice all the reference to the to the rotten leaves that are tossed up um, by the the rabbits, the desperate rabbits who are caught in snares. Um, that uh, I, I, Philip, I hadn't recalled that, but uh, but yeah, the uh, the decaying leaves which are disturbed um, by the by the rabbits is a, is a, I think well remembered um, by the snared rabbits. I think are well remembered. But I wonder what you think of the fourth stanza. Frith lies in the evening sky. The clouds are red about him. I am here, Lord Frith. I am running through the long grass. First of all, notice, we've broken the pattern. Um, we only got one sentence, one line, at the beginning there, about Frith. There were always two lines of description before. And then it was, where are you going, right? So we got the two lines of description, then the where are you going, leaves, wind, stream, right, far, far away... Take me or take you, I will go with you. So it's broken that uh, it's broken that trend. The clouds are red right about him. Um, notice also that we get a period in the middle of that line. That's the only time that happens. We got pauses in the middle. We get question marks sometimes. Where are you going, leaves? Far, far away. Um, but we've never just had a period. There's no other line that just contains two simple sentences. Frith lies in the evening sky. The clouds are red about him. It's already different syntactically as well as in its sound and then again the whole pattern, um, the very closely parallel pattern of the first three stanzas is immediately broken here. I am here, Lord Frith. I am running through the long grass. I am here. Not, where are you going, Lord Frith? Which, again, we think, okay, so we're skipping a line, but next comes, where are you going? Right? No, we don't get, where are, we, where are you going? We have, I am here. Um, I am here. I am running through the long grass. Oh, take me with you. Dropping behind the woods, far away to the heart of the light, the silence. Notice how this appeal, oh, take me with you, um combines, notice this is where we, th- that used to be only one sentence in the previous pattern, take me, O leaves, O oh, take me on your dark journey. Um, now we get the two lines, right? Um, and he doesn't respond, Frith doesn't respond, far, far away into the earth we go with the rain and the berries, that's what the leaves say, right? <clears throat> um, instead the far away is included in the appeal. I know that you're going far away, you don't have to tell me you're going far away. And, and notice how he describes his journey, and how it contains almost all of those other elements, right? Dropping behind the woods, it's descending, right? Far, far away to the heart of the light, the silence. It's not the dark journey, it's to the light, right? But also to the silence. For I am ready to give you my breath, my life. I don't think... No, there's no other place where we get a pause. We've had pauses. They're generally towards the middle. That pause nearly at the end of the line. For I am ready to give you my breath, my life. We haven't had. It's a different rhythm. The shining circle of the sun, the sun, and the rabbit. Notice he doesn't say, I shall be rabbit of the sun. Um because he's he offers himself up to it, he doesn't just offer himself to enter into a kind of community with it, right? take me with you, I will be rabbit of the wind, I will be rabbit of the leaves, right? Maybe I can join into community with you. um He's not saying that to Lord Frith, right um the shining circle of the sun, the sun, and the rabbit doesn't say he's going to be rabbit of the sun. What do you see here? this fourth stanza, I find really hard to pin down. I feel like I'm trying to bite an apple tree, (laughs) but I just can't quite get my teeth on the bark. Um, That is, I think this is a fascinating combination of things. Um, Sarah Lagarde says the entire poem is a reflection on a death wish. Yes, 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 to some extent. It's this desperate desire to escape, um, even to escape into death, to follow the leaves on their dark journey into the earth, to go with the stream through the heather into the unknown, in the darkness and in the starlight. Remember, in the starlight is a little more threatening to rabbits than to humans. Sort of yes and no. To some extent the rabbits are of course much less helpless out in the dark than human beings are. Um, They can see much better and their other senses are much more acute. So the dark you know the darkness outside is much less. But then again there are more predators out there at night. And so it's very dangerous to be out there. Um, So again what that image conveys. We have to contextualize it in the Lapine uh, fr- framework that again, we, you know, the story has been building for us. But that last stanza is there hope in that? The willingness to the offering of his life, of his breath, to the sun, to Frith, to be taken into the heart of light. That's got to be a good thing, doesn't it? Better than the dark journey. Is he turning away from that? Is there an impulse? towards, I mean, Frith is clearly the, uh, you know, the, the divine figure within their mythology, um, but I love the point, who was it? Gerald, Michael, the point that you were making about the ambivalence of that symbol, the shining circle of the sun. Of course, the shining circle is also the wire snare that you stick your head through, right? Um, Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right about that, Gerald. Um, It's the sun, but it's also the snare. It's also death. Um, um, Yeah, Lee says, it's hard to believe that Silverweed believes in Frith. Yeah, I hear you. But at the same time, I don't know. Who's he listening to? That introduction of Silverweed, I wanted to make sure that we rent that, not only because of the connection with Fiverr, which I think is, is, is clearly a really important element here, but the fact that we are presented Silverweed, it's different from the shapes, it's different from the, like, ritual dancing motions that they do to greet each other it's different from the singing to their babies which again what a marvelous thing right to have a mother singing to her young but yet present that is this horrifying thing like oh my gosh what are they doing singing to their young um again it's just i think it's so awesome the way that uh it, to me the reactions that i think that uh, we as readers are sort of have been, I believe, successfully prompted to have towards these moments um, is to me just su- such a wonderful testimony of how of how Adams has succeeded at this point uh, in the in the in the book in bringing us into the into the the rabbit worldview. But anyway, um, he's not just an artist. They talk about him like an artist. Right, you know. M- remember the things that they're saying. They're all like, "Oh, his ideas have, have uh, developed quite a following." Or right? it makes you sound like you're going to hear a philosopher. Right, you're going to hear, you know, somebody who's got an agenda. Someone who doesn't have an agenda. Right. First of all, he's 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 you know he's he's young. He's barely even a, you know, he's barely even an an adult. Um, but that image that we get, he's he's listening to something else. He's perceiving things that other people can't see. Um, he seems in that way to be relating something like truth Fiverr relates truth. Fiverr is in touch with things. Well, um, let's, uh, let's look at uh, Fiverr's response, and this will, I think, help some. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Kimberly makes a great point. She says, for me, it's hard to look at the poem without placing it against Dandelion's story. Silverweed and his poem lack some rabbit thing, or the rabbit thing here is twisted. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that's 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 really important. I mean, we it's the it's the direct counterpart to Dandelion's story, right? Um, the you know Hazel and his companions have a have a storyteller, right? Um, who's really good, who's really unusually good, and it's Dandelion. Cowslip's cow slips people have a storyteller, too, that they think is really exceptional, and it's silverweed, and they both are trying to impress the others. Um, The correspondence there I think is really clear. Um, Yeah, Kay, oh, what what, what an interesting way to think about it, Kay. Kay says, in this stanza, the rabbit is abandoning his cunning and explicitly saying, here I am, come get me. Yes. But, Kay, how poignant is 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 that, isn't it? I mean, it's It's not just... I mean, on the one hand, you're right. It does map onto the, we don't need tricks, we don't need Elehera. What a rabbit primarily needs is the willingness to accept his own fate, right? Um, But at the same time, there is in the surrender that we get in that last stanza something almost like hope, but it's like a twisted hope, or a, a hope that is still perceived and yet despaired of, like that sense, Gerald, the shining circle of the sun, that's Lord Frith, right? That's the heart of the light. And yet, maybe it's just the loop of the wire about to go around your neck, right? Um, Maybe to submit to the one is just as good or just as bad as submitting to the other. The way that what seems to me to be a genuine glimpse of hope, a genuine turning. And I, 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 I take it as a turning. The reason I spend so much time looking at the structure of the poem is not just be. I mean, anytime a poem has that much structure, I mean, the the, the really intricate parallelism of those first three stanzas are about as clear an indication as a poem can give you, right? This is important. Pay attention to this, and especially when you've got that three times, and then a fourth time, and, and the, the the that structure, um, you know, gets all dissolved, not all dissolved, all mixed around the fourth time. We've got to pay attention to that, right? right. Um, shows us the fourth stanza really stands really stands out. Now, the trajectory, had we said, had been downward, but then all of a sudden, we go up again. We're now looking at the sun in the last stanza. Again, it looks like, no, I'm not going to sink into the earth. I'm going to look up at the sun. I'm going to seek the heart. I'm not going to sink down. I'm not going on the journey into darkness. I'm going to seek the heart of the light. It seems like hope. It seems like rebellion. And yet it's all twisted in and mixed with the with despair at the same time. And the fact that you can hear, see the same lines, the same images as expressions of uh, of hope or of despair like you know that, that image of the shining circle of the sun um uh anyway it's it's i think what he const- it's to me this stanza is such a perfect encapsulation of the horrible predicament of the rabbits in this warren right the way in which they have been twisted by the situation, by their situation, um, I just I find this last stanza really difficult to completely describe. Um, it's so evocative, but I, but it's 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 so it's so tangled up together, um, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, Brian Mahoney, you're right that in the last stanza the sun is setting and the light is fading into darkness. But again, that still seems to me to be—it's not because—but it's, it's, but Frith isn't dying, right? Um, the clouds are red about him. He lies in the evening sky, um, but the rabbits know he's going to get up again in the morning, right? Again, it can go either way. It all can go either way. It's the downward motion again, right? He's dropping behind the woods, Frith is. Frith always falls. Every day Frith falls and darkness comes. So is it a statement of despair, right? I seek for the light, but it always drops down and I'm always left in darkness. It could be that, right? Or it could be an alternative. No, 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 wait. Instead of just sinking into the earth and going on that dark journey, if down is the direction I have to go, if down is the direction I'm being pulled, I want to go with the sun, I want to seek the heart of the light, the light beyond the darkness, the darkness which is only here because the sun has gone. I want to follow the sun, not stay in the darkness, not seek the darkness. It could be taken as a desire of hope, and yet it's so confounded with the despair with which the rest of the poem is full um, that... uh, yeah, and Emily very well reminded. Emily Strand recalls to us that uh, the despair is especially... is 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 very anti-rabbit, she says. Very far from those gifts the Lord Frith gave to ella Herrera's bottom. Um, absolutely. Um, th- this makes it abhorrent to both Hazel's clan and by now the reader. Remember, even just the melancholy, the sadness of these rabbits seemed profoundly un-rabbit-like, right? Terror is a normal rabbit experience, right? Um... Uh, you know, sort of general alarm and fearfulness, like, the you know, the certain knowledge that there are, you know, you are surrounded by enemies, all of whom are going to try to kill you and who might swoop down and kill you at any second. That knowledge, that reality, is part of the rabbit world. But the melancholy of these rabbits is profoundly un like Um... Yeah. Kimberly, I was thinking too of fivers inside of the field covered with blood when we get the red clouds around Frith in the evening sky. Um, Absolutely. It's almost like he's getting a glimpse of the same kind of thing. Um, Not applied in the same way, of course, but... um, Yes, yes, they've forgotten the promise that the species will survive, uh, Philip says. Um, Anyway, I've kept you plenty of time today. Let me at least um, we're not gonna quite finish with uh, this section today, but we'll have done the most of it. Let me let me look about, having looked at the poem here, um, let's look at Fiverr's reaction because Fiverr is the only link we really have to I mean, we can do analysis of the poem on our own and begin to see what it seems like Silverweed's getting at but um, uh, but Fiverr is clearly, our voice our connection with what's going on here he's the only one really in a position to appreciate this hazel said this is before um when they just say that silverweed is gonna is gonna is gonna speak hazel said fiver suddenly i want to get a clear idea of this silverweed and i but i daren't go closer by myself will you come with me why fiver whatever do you mean what is there to be afraid of "'Oh, Frith, help me,' said Fiverr, trembling. "'I can smell him from here. He terrifies me.' "'Oh, Fiverr, don't be absurd. "'He just, just smells the same as the rest of them. "'He smells like barley rained down and left to rot in the fields. "'He smells like a wounded mole that can't get underground. "'He smells like a big, fat rabbit to me with lots of carrots inside, "'but I'll come with you.'" Notice that even before we get that description of silverweed, Of his sort of twitchiness, his abstraction from the rest of the rabbits, and his appearing to listen to something else that nobody else can see, we get Fiverr's terror at, you know, before Silverweed has spoken. By smell, he can identify uh, uh, Silverweed, and he gives these um, uh, two really remarkable uh, similes, right, to try to encapsulate the sense that he gets of silverweed Um, and we see waste barley rained down and left to rot in the fields something that is good and wholesome but has been corrupted has been abandoned and then desperation like a wounded mole that can't get underground Um, if there's anything more desperate to get underground than a rabbit it's a mole Right, moles don't even don't moles don't even just need holes to bolt to, you know. If they're above ground, they're you know completely exposed. Um, and a wounded mole would be the more desperate to get underground, the more helpless. Um, Hazel, of course, can't see it now. Now again, notice. The tone that Hazel's, as a side note, the tone that Hazel's using with Fiverr here, remember, is consistent with what we saw in Chapter 1. You know, that, oh, Fiverr, don't be absurd. He just smells the same as the rest of them. Um, uh, whatever do you mean? What is there to be afraid of? That's the same tone that he used with Fiverr when Fiverr first had his experience next to the notice board, right? Oh, don't be absurd. Oh, you're scaring me now. You know, um, stop it, Fiverr. Um, it's just the setting sun. You know, it's just the evening sun. It's not blood. Um so it's but in this context it's really interesting because again it sounds just like that, but of course we know that Hazel has been resistant to uh has been actively resistant to Fiverr in to Fiverr's words in ways that he hasn't been uh before. Good. Tom notices that the barley is like the berries um and the leaves, you know, in the in in the leaf stanza in the poem. Um good, good. Here's, of course, Fiver does, you know, Fiver as a a poetry critic after the fact. They followed Fiver up the run and overtook him at the end. Remember, he has panicked and bolted. He goes tharn at first and then tears off. Um, And notice like the testimony to the deep unnaturalness of the thing. Fiver being like, you know, one of the very, very few rabbits who bolt above ground when when he's terrified, right? I mean, he's terrified by something in the midst of the Great Burrow, in the midst of this community of rabbits that makes him bolt out into the night uh, exposure where the Elil are. Um... Again, it just sort of shows you how upside down everything is. They followed Fiver up the run and overtook him at the entrance. Before either of them could say a word, he turned and began to speak as though they had asked him a question. You felt it then? And you wanted to know whether I did? Of course I did. That's the worst part of it. There isn't any trick. He speaks the truth. So long as he speaks the truth, it can't be folly. That's what you're going to say, isn't it? I'm not blaming you, Hazel. I felt myself moving toward him like one cloud drifting into another. But then at last, at the last moment, I drifted wide. Who knows why? It wasn't my own will. It was an accident. There was just some little part of me that carried me wide of him. Did I say the roof of that hall was made of bones? No, it's like a great mist of folly that covers the whole sky, and we shall never see to go by Frith's light any more. Oh, what will become of us? A thing can be true and still be desperate folly, Hazel. What on earth's all this? said Hazel to bigwig in perplexity. Um, <laughs> notice Emily says there isn't any trick. Um... Uh, that's actually anti-rabbit, Emily points out. Um, yeah, that's true, actually, there isn't any trick. Uh, there isn't any trick, he speaks the truth. Um, yeah, yeah. Remember, Hazel has a dream of Elah uh, setting up the shape just in order to distract Strawberry so that uh Ella Herrera could go in and seduce Nildro Hain, right? Um, that is trickery, right? Trickery going on within that warren is what Hazel dreams of. We'll talk about Hazel's dream. Um, I don't think we're gonna have time for it tonight, but uh, we'll 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 talk about it briefly, with a little bit, a, a little bit in class next time. Um, but um, but Emily, I think it's a really interesting point. Um, the fact that Silverweed speaks the truth is, in a sense, uh, in in a sense, the test a testimony to the fact that that, that there's no trick. I like that. Um, Kimberly says, Fiver's reaction bothers me almost more than the poem does. I agree. Um, Kimberly, through a lot of my childhood, I was haunted by that image of Fiverr's. I don't mean haunted in a bad sense, and not like it gave me nightmares or something like that, but when he says, I felt myself moving toward him like one cloud drifting into another, but then at the last moment I drifted wide. Who knows why? It wasn't my own will, it was an accident. That comparison um that simile of the one cloud drifting into another, and then at the last moment he drifted wide um, is an image that it it always it always haunted me what is Fiverr saying exactly Fiverr on the one hand is not saying i mean I, to, to, to be you know, to to state the most obvious things first, right? His response to Silverweed is not, oh my gosh, that guy has it all wrong, right? Um, no. He doesn't have it all wrong. He speaks the truth. What Silverweed says is true. That is the way... I mean, remember, we were even just almost touching on this when a couple of you were talking about how the despair that uh, that Silverweed is voicing is Inimical to the whole rabbit perspective is forgetful of Frith's promise to Elehreira's bottom, um, is contrary to the whole spirit of rabbitry, right? Yes, but it is also reality, right? I mean, the rabbits, on the one hand, have their faith in the promise given to Elehreira, right, that rabbits will never be destroyed, and we see their faith in that idea buoying their spirits when they're listening to that first story in the wood near the banks of the Endborn. But the fact is, the reality of the rabbit world is all the world shall be your enemy, Prince with a Thousand Enemies, and whenever they catch you, they will kill you. Um, Yes, they have to catch him first, and yes, Frith has given him, through his bottom, these wonderful resources, right, for them to work together and for him to outrun and outwit his enemies, but there's another way of looking at it, right, which is that death is certain and surrounds us all the time. You know, the death rate in the Warren of the Snares is no different than the death rate anywhere else. 100% of rabbits die right? 100% of everybody dies, right? Death is this reality, and it's a reality very present for rabbits. They're always thinking about it. They're always thinking about the elo that might be attacking them. They do you know, how unnatural it is just to waltz right out of the hole into the field, because there could be an owl right there, there could be a could be a stoat just waiting <laughs> right outside the hole, especially since the holes are so obvious you could drive a doo down them, uh, as, uh, as Bigwig points out. Um, So, you can look at it either way, right? Silverweed is right. Yeah, yeah. Um, You might as well be rabbit of the leaves, right? You might as well go down on the dark journey with the leaves. You're gonna anyway, one way or another. Um, uh, But resignation to their lot, right? Acceptance of their fate is fundamentally not a rabbit characteristic. It doesn't change the fact that the fate that they have, I mean, their life, their position is a tenuous one. Um, and all the world is their enemy, and whenever they catch you, they will kill you. He sees all that. A thing can be true and still be desperate folly. Um, it's folly, it's foolishness to live there the way that they do. Um, Awareness of death, awareness of threat, even awareness of the certainty of death Mm -hmm. is one thing, but it's very different. Um, It's very different to be resigned to that, to embrace it, to accept it, to turn yourself towards it, to be looking downwards into the earth, um, to be, you know, uh, to be wanting... To go down with the sun, and to sink into the earth like the leaves, and to slide away like the stream across the heather into the deadly unknown, um, uh, and therefore even potentially somewhat dubious, perhaps, to want to float away into the feathery air. Um, uh, yeah, Jeff says if uh, his circumstances could have been had been different, he could have been Silverweed. Yes. Yes, he could have. He could have. Um, he felt himself moving toward him like one cloud drifting into another. The two of them are alike. They're both clouds. Right and why clouds? because when two clouds come together, it's not like two rabbits meeting in the great burrow, like when the rabbits had their did their meeting thing right um, and all of their nonverbal communication by which they all made friends with each other and understood came to understand each other's minds. It's not like two rabbits meeting in the dark when two clouds come together, they become one cloud right um that's the kind of likeness that he sees between himself and silverweed, but he doesn't cease to be a cloud, but he drifts wide, and their, their two clouds don't connect. Why not? He could have done, right? Um, was he in any different of a situation in the Sandalford Warren when he saw the doom approaching? Um, he responded, I mean, the, the doom that was approaching there was no less certain than the shining wires a good deal less so in some sense um or that is the wires are a great deal less so and i mean doesn't all, not all of them die right um he, he could have he yeah exactly as tom uh, johnson says he he could have he could have uh, he could have stayed there he could have just become merely despondent um but he doesn't um and, yeah, that accident of his drifting apart, Ethan Pyle asks, you know, was it purely chance, or was there a higher power involved? We don't know. He says it wasn't my own will. It was an accident. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure that Fiverr knows that. I'm not sure that he has the answer to that question exactly. Um, we'll, I mean, we're going to keep watching Fiverr, and sort of Fiverr's relationship to the unknown, um, Kimberly asks, "Is Hazel the accident? Um, yeah, you know, maybe. You know, uh, the difference between Silverweed and Fiver is uh, one has a big brother and the other one doesn't. Um, perhaps, perhaps. Um, yeah, I mean that certainly is a difference. Um, uh, you know, th- that's is, because again, what would Fiverr have done? Would Fiver have left the Warren?" The Sandalford Warren on his own? I don't know. He says that he's willing to... Um, um, he says that he's willing to go. He says that he's willing to um, to to go on. And so he's planning to go. He's going to go to the hills by himself, right? Um, but he wasn't talking that way in the Sandalford Warren. I mean, he didn't need to, because Hazel was there. Um, he hadn't hit this split with Hazel yet. But... Um, uh, but I can't imagine it. He, Fiverr himself has changed. Um, and, I, and even his own relationship to this, his own capacity to sense these things seems to be changing, seems to have changed by this point. Um, so that when he makes the decision that he's going to go onto to the hills alone, again, I think it's a different Fiverr who's saying that than the one who was cowering next to the message board um, in Chapter 1. Um, yeah, Thomas, I agree. It seems, seems like he was too paralyzed with fear in the Sandalford War to do anything without Hazel. I agree. I, 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 That's why I can't see him leaving. Um, you know, he's he says to the three, when Hazel brings him there, that they need to go. Um, but I don't think he would have done it. Anyway, all right, I've kept you long enough tonight. Um, Let me let you go. There are a few more things that I want to touch on before we move on. We will commence officially being slightly behind Um, uh, next time. Of course, I want to be looking at Fiverr's final assessment when when Fiverr sort of finally gives us the rest of the story, right? When he gives us the, you know, his what sounds like a pretty authoritative inter- interpretation of what happened in the warren of the snares and how it all fits together um, you know there's some of the elements that i want to come back to and look at in conjunction with some of the things that we were looking at earlier today um, uh... but um anyway we'll do that at the beginning of next time and then move on to part two on Watership. the first half of part two on watership down Um so uh... uh I, I hope that you guys will enjoy the discovery of the hills next time, um, and uh, and I will I will look forward to talking to you guys next week. Week so thanks. See you guys next Wednesday. Good night.